says, good evening. How's Hi. it going? Good. Good. Yeah, Kylie yeah. looks beautiful and sunlit. I was I just going to say, yeah. thank you, Daylight Savings. She's beautiful. The, uh, the sun is still out at, at 6.30 p.m. It's it's setting right now, though. And yes, it's on my face. It's yeah. in my eyes. <laughs> she looks like she's got an Instagram filter on. I know. So golden. Quite lovely. Thank you. Emily looks like she's got some good sun, too, though. For real? Maybe just maybe oh, just huh? some good lighting in the apartment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. <sighs> I'm going to miss this lighting. I'm moving, so you know. <sighs> do you get good light in the other one, though? Do you know yet? I have no idea. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. We'll time we'll tell. This, if not, I'll make my own, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. She's well, resourceful. Yeah. yeah, She is. We do what she we have to really do. She really is. We do. It's a fact. It's a known fact. Yeah. Well, uh, anything new? Anything exciting going on? Hmm. No. Hmm. No. Dante. <gasps> oh, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I a quick little story for the peeps who know no Dante, my my snowshoe cat. He's 11 and he's had bad breath for for a few years. So I brought him to the vet um, and come to find out he has a rotten mouth <laughs> and he had to get 24 teeth removed. 24? I didn't even know. No. I didn't know cats had that many teeth. I guess they have like 30 teeth, give or take a few. So he has four teeth left, um, but he finally finished his pain meds. He's on antibiotics now, and he's slowly but surely back to himself. But wow. Just a little update for those who were concerned or interested. 24 teeth, my gummy boy. Which oh teeth does he gosh. have left? He has one canine, and then he has like four or three little ones. I haven't really seen the inside of his mouth yet. I mean, when he yawns, I try to like sneak a Uh peek, but (laughs) try to get in there real quick. Yeah, that was me after Angus got a couple teeth removed. I was like, which ones are they? (laughs) (laughs) I know. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, I try to brush Holly's teeth. That worries me, but it's hard to brush a cat's teeth. What are you going to do? It is. They don't cooperate. No, yeah. They're like, fuck you. Right. Get out of my mouth. But I'm glad Dante is okay. He's got four yes. good ones. Mm-hmm. And I guess cats don't necessarily need their teeth to chew. Yeah. You know, in yeah. the case that they don't have them, they use their jaw to crush food. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really? So, it's so funny to think about cat teeth being removed because they're so tiny. Mm-hmm. Like, the right? thought of pulling all those little tiny teeth. I know. Yeah. Oh, Some of them word. are really deep. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I've been learning a lot about cat teeth. <laughs> now she knows. <laughs> now I know. Well, oh. good for you. Well, we got we got an exciting app for the people. I say it every week. Will I ever? It's true. It? Uh, it's another round of ghoul talk, and mm. we're the golden ghouls. Alyssa, Kylie, Emily, and it's time to get spooky. Ooh. <sighs> yeah. We got cat teeth and ghost stories for you. Yeah. Also, today, someone started uh, like 
creepy pets thread in the Facebook group. Um, what? And they've got some like creepy crawly pets. So if oh, anybody geez. else has creepy crawly pets and hasn't seen <sighs> the the post in there, hop on and share your pics. I'm personally a bit afraid of the creepy crawlies, but um, I respect them and the people who love them. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was like, I've got nothing to add here. My pets are pretty um, run of the mill, just dogs, yeah. but yeah. But you great know. dogs. Yeah. Great dogs. We love them. Like, we love them. Probably not creepy crawly. No, no. Dogs. I mean, they're like insane, but definitely not creepy crawly. Right. No, no. <laughs> All right. Well, so a ghoul talk, you say? Yeah. yeah I say it. I well, said should it. I kick it off? Do it. I'm going to hit us with a bang with Colleen. Colleen has a story for us here. Colleen says, good morning, ghouls. First off, I just have to tell you how much I enjoy your podcast. You are all so amazing and you brighten up my day. The story I want to share didn't happen to me. And unfortunately, I don't have a lot of information about this near-death experience story, but it can be found in the news and is simply amazing. Hmm. It happened in the hospital my aunt used to work in, in Colorado. A mother and son both were pronounced dead following childbirth. No signs of life in either one. And they both came back after several minutes. Crazy. The mother was completely lifeless, no heartbeat, etc. for four minutes. And as if that's not amazing enough, all of this happened on Christmas Eve. Definitely Mm. some forces at work there. Here's an excerpt from the Gazette written by Bill Reed. Mike, and excuse me if I'm pronouncing this last name wrong, Herman Storfer. That seems right. Okay. Mike Herman Storfer held his pregnant wife's hand on Christmas Eve as it went ice cold, and she began (sighs) to turn blue. What happened that day is a medical mystery. Doctors don't know why Tracy Herman Storfer and her baby almost died. And they don't know how they came back from the brink in perfect health. The mother of two boys, ages 11 and 3, Tracy Herman Storfer had no reason to believe her third pregnancy wouldn't go as smoothly as her first two. Her water broke about 5 a.m. on December 24th, and the couple headed to Memorial Hospital Central. Her first two births were natural, she said, but this time she received drugs to speed up labor and control pain. The labor was progressing smoothly when she began to feel weird. Herman Storfer said, said, feeling tired, she closed her eyes. They didn't open. Her heart stopped beating. Dr. Stephanie Martin, the director of maternal fetal medicine at Memorial, was talking to another patient when she heard a code blue emergency call overhead and came running. Mm -mm. Cardiac arrest during pregnancy is quite rare in healthy young moms. And for for a mom and baby to both survive is rarer still. Martin says she's seen about 10 cases in her career and never before have mother and child come out unscathed. The room turned into an absolute zoo after the code blue call, with more doctors and nurses converging than they'd ever seen in one place. Meanwhile, 
nurse Becky Morelli performed CPR on Herman Storfer, even though she thought it was hopeless. I thought we lost her, Morelli said. That five minutes was about three days, Mike Herman Storfer said. It went on and on and on. Martin came into the room and performed an emergency cesarean cesarean section right there in the bed. No time to get an operating room. In less than five minutes from from the code blue call, Colton Michael Hermansdorfer was removed from the womb at 12.46 p.m. on Christmas Eve. He was a robust, robust seven pounds, four ounces, and 19 inches long, but he wasn't breathing. The first time I held Colton, he still wasn't breathing, Mike Hermansdorfer said. They actually got him started while he was in my hands. I was literally there for his first breath. And something else happened. Once the baby was out of her uterus, Tracy Hermansdorfer began to snap back to life. Her heart started beating again. By the time they had transported her to an operating room, she was telling people the baby's name. That night, she was eating dinner, and by Monday, she was sitting up holding her baby and ready to get home to her older boys. Martin said she's done a head-to-toe search on Herman Storfer and to try to find out why her heart stopped beating with no success. All the typical reasons have been ruled out. Furthermore, she can't find damage to mother or child, despite huh. the time they spent without a, a beating heart feeding them oxygen. There's only one explanation, and it's just an absolute miracle, Mike Herman Storfer said. There's no rhyme or reason as to why either one is here. Thanks so much for your time. Love y'all. Stay spooky. From Colleen. Whew, that is wild. wild Thank gosh story. they're alive. I know. Crazy. Yeah. Colleen sent that like right after our near-death experience episode. Mm. And I was like, holy cowza. Mm. That's, that, that's not one. even like near-death. That's like death <laughs> oh yeah that's like but then you're back yeah it's right. also like a, amazing that <clears throat> after like after they took the baby out the mom was immediately like okay i'm fine yeah i know like, like just like able to sit up eat dinner the next day what's going on you know crazy you know i'd be curious to a hear real miracle she- yeah, seriously. I would be interested to hear if she, like, saw anything while she was on mm. the other side. Ugh. I know. We need to look up the story on the internet. I know. I I looked it up a little bit, and there are so many articles that I'm like, she must have talked about it more in depth somewhere, but very s- traumatic. But yeah, I'm, yes. I'm glad that they're both okay. Mm-hmm. I have an email here from Erica. The title of the email was Ghoul Talk to Erica Boogaloo because <laughs> Erica has now sent us two stories, um, which that made me giggle. Mm. But Erica says, hello, ghouls. I'm back to share more spookalicious experiences that happened to me that will lead up to telling you about my poltergeist, Dave. Look out <gasps> for another email about him. Dave. I love Dave. (laughs) So back in 2016, I started a job at an auction house that dealt in antiquities, and I had spooky experiences right out of the gate. My first day there, a colleague was showing me around the gallery and adjacent warehouse where I'd be doing the bulk of my work. 
This warehouse was about 5,000 square feet and filled with all manner of good lord military items. Jesus, Louisa. (laughs) Racks of uniforms, rows of swords, shelves bursting with plates of armor, firearms, just anything and everything from the 1700s to World War II era. A small portion of the warehouse held excavated relics, including a four-foot-long iron cannon. Since the cannon was large and heavy, it rested on the ground atop some shipping blankets so it wouldn't be damaged or move around. Next to the cannon on the same blanket were some cannonballs that were irregularly shaped and slightly corroded. As my colleague and I, the only two people in the building, approached the area with the relics, one of the cannonballs rolled off the shipping blanket towards us. Hmm. We both stopped, looked at each other, and without a word, turned around and walked out of the warehouse. (laughs) Same. I would immediately leave. (laughs) Later that week, I was working in the warehouse by myself, and periodically, the photographer would come in to take special photographs of items that some clients would request. From where I was located in the warehouse, I couldn't really see the one door leading in and out because it was obscured by the five-foot-tall racks of uniforms. I thought I heard something, so I looked up and noticed the red hair of the photographer among the uniform racks. I naturally assumed he was searching for a specific item. I also had a question I'd been meaning to ask him, so I called out to him. He didn't respond. He was a quiet and somewhat reserved person, so I figured he either didn't hear me or I couldn't hear his response. So I asked again. Still no response. I walked over to the racks to find no one was there. Confused, I made my way over to the main gallery and asked another colleague where the photographer was, only to discover the photographer had been out to lunch and wasn't back yet. Stop. Yeah. (laughs) At this point, I'm one week into this new job and I've already had two unexplainable experiences, so I'm beginning to wonder what I've gotten myself into. There was an almost tangible energy in the midst of these military pieces. A great deal of these items saw battle. The weapons perhaps took lives. Many of the plates of armor had damage that a person could not have walked away from. Most of these items had been undisturbed in various storage units for 30 plus years, and now they're being manipulated and photographed and poked and prodded, and I'm sure that whatever spirits or entities were attached to these items were not well pleased with us for disturbing them. Once the military items had been moved over and displayed in the gallery, there was a particular section of the display cases that just felt off. Even Hmm. a colleague who is very much a skeptic in all avenues of life couldn't quite explain why he felt uneasy near this one display case. While he and I were near that area and arranging items in those cases, he angrily said, Erica, what the fuck? Did you just touch me? And I, being about 10 feet away from him at the time, was so confused and caught off guard that I could barely answer a no before he stormed off. Once he cooled down, we spoke and he said it felt like I had put my arms around him from behind and traced my fingers from his throat down his chest, which I absolutely did not do. A few days later, I had a request from a client for more information on a piece that was in the creepy display case. I decided I would quickly grab the item from the case and bring it back to my desk to answer all questions away from the bad vibes. So I grabbed my keys and head over to the case. 
I quickly unlock the case, grab the key or grab the item. And as I'm trying to lock the case, I drop my keys. I crouch down to pick them up and I feel two distinct fingers between my shoulder blades push me over. My heart was racing, so I just scooped up my keys and the item and hurried back to my desk, neglecting to lock the case behind me. None of us at the gallery could really figure out what item or items were responsible for the bad vibes in that case, but I did my best to avoid that area, even going so far as to make sure I had someone with me when I needed to go there. Stay spooky, Erica. Oh my goodness. Woo! That makes me want to go antique shopping. Yeah, the the <laughs> it makes you want to. It makes me not want to. The um the tracing of the fingers on the throat is like especially creepy though. Y'all want one more? Absolutely. Okay. Let me pull up ye old storybook here. <laughs> okay. This is from Joe. Hi Joe. Hey Joe. Throughout my life, I've always believed in the paranormal. Early on, I remember hearing things in my old house. Doors closing, televisions turning on and off, loud bangs, but I've never seen what I believed to be an actual ghost. That changed last week. Last year, my parents bought a ranch out in Texas Hill Country, about an hour northwest from where I'm located. While they were away traveling last weekend, I told them that I would head out there to do a few chores and feed the barn cat who lives out on the land. (laughs) What's the cat's name? Let us know. (laughs) While initially planning on heading out alone, I reached out to an old friend. Let's call him Rick. To see if he wanted to join in and take the weekend to catch up on conversation and what we came to call ranch shit. He obliged. The weeks leading up to our ranch rendezvous had been rainy ones for most of South Texas, which put a delay on our schedule. And by the time we pulled up to the old iron gate, the sun was quickly dipping between, behind sorry, the dark hills that the ranch set nestled between. That's one of the first things I noticed about this place the year before. There's a sense of being surrounded when you were out there. I had always attributed it to the rolling hills that encircled the little 90-acre plot of land. But now I think there could be more to that. Unlock gate. Swing it open. Jump back in car. Pull forward. Jump out of car. Lock gate behind us. I was following the instructions that my my parents had left for me as close as possible. I had been out there a handful of times by this point, but this was the first time on my own and I didn't want to fuck anything up. The land looked so different than I'd seen before. The excess of rain we'd been receiving had created loud steam running across the main roads towards the filling tank, which sat engorged, reflecting the last bit of the October sky. As we bumped along toward the main house, I pointed left out across the fields toward a giant oak tree. Out over there is where the plot is. Rick craned his neck back to try and catch a glimpse of what I gestured to. I had mentioned to him the week before that we had about six or seven graves on the property, all gathered together under an old, sprawling oak. Most of the stones were illegible, except for one where you could make out a death date falling in the late 1800s. Rick's eyes surveyed the land more intensely now. As kids, we both loved the paranormal, telling ghost stories, 
playing with Ouija boards and scaring ourselves in the house I grew up in was common during sleepovers. I also knew what a big fan of Texas history he was. He mentioned how excited he was to get a closer look. Turn on water. Disarm electric gate. Unlock house. Turn off alarm. Turn on AC. For the sake of your attention, I'll fast forward a bit. We got settled in after I showed Rick the house and property. We ate a bit and started in on the beers. The beers. (laughs) Late into the night, we decided to go for a drive, probably around 2.30 in the morning. I was being super cautious as to where I drove. The heavy rains had left a lot of the property waterlogged, and I had been told my brother had gotten the ATV stuck out there the weekend before. Let's check out those graves, Rick shouted over the growling engine. I veered left across the field towards the big oak. We parked, cut the engine, jumped out onto the soaked earth, and trudged towards the little cemetery. On our hands and knees, by the lights of our headlamps, we ran our hands across the grave, pulling out tall grass that encrouched the stones. My fingers traced the cursive name that I knew well. Joseph Casey was born March 1st, 1853, died November 2nd, 1880. He was 27, younger than me. I wonder what it must have been like out here for a man his age. I wondered how he died. When we purchased the land, the property owner said something off the cuff about the graves belonging to a family who died from the plague and a few horse thieves who didn't get very far. Just land, lore, nothing to back it up. We checked out a few of the other stones, but all were either too worn or flipped onto their faces. We jumped back into the ATV and headed out to a large field I call the meadow. It's about now that I realized how bright the moon was that night. It illuminated the land, leaving only the dark silhouettes of trees peppered across the property. We sat in the meadow, me in the driver's seat, and Rick in the front, with the headlights on to allow the music to keep us company while we talked. It really was a beautiful night. You could see as far off in any direction that your own sight would allow. From the corner of my eye to the left, I saw a movement that caused me to whip my head in that direction. Did you see that? I asked. Rick, who had been staring out to the right side of the ATV, turned to see what had caught my attention. No, what? We sat there, both our eyes fixated, onto a line of three large trees about 20 feet off to the left of us. From the farthest right tree, a dark shadow stepped out to the right, blocking out the brightly moonlit fields behind it, and slipped over to the farthest of trees to my left. Rick gasped, and that's what startled me the most. He was reacting to what my eyes were also seeing. It looked as if someone had been watching us from behind one of the trees and stepped out to get a closer look at us. We should get out of here. We've had too many beers. Let's get out of here, he stammered. Hold on, I said, as I cranked the key towards me, cutting the headlights and the music at once. We sat in nature's silence with eyes fixated on the area where we had just spotted something. Not even 30 seconds passed before the exact same movement stepped out from the same tree and slipped over to the farthest left tree from us, almost like an exact replay dude, let's go. (laughs) I had all the proof I needed. I fired up the engine and turned left towards the three trees, bathing them in the headlights and revealing no deer 
or other animal that could have been blocking out the moonlight in its passing. I sped back towards the main house, abandoning any fear of getting stuck and cutting across the waterlogged fields. We pulled up to the house and walked back to the porch and sat in silence. My eyes felt like they've never been opened so wide in my life. I think we just saw a ghost, I managed. Rick turned to me and said, we definitely saw something. Since then, my buddy and I have been keeping communication about that night. Him, being the Texas history buff that he is, found an old book that chronicled some of the history of the pioneers that settled in the area where my ranch is. We found a detailed account of a group of cattle and horses being stolen by a group of natives. The person who they were stolen from enlisted the help of a Joe Casey to help him track the natives in 1874, when Casey would have been 21. This doesn't prove anything. I just think it's so interesting that we now own a part of Texas history, and it's so exciting to try and find out what really happened to J.C. That was fabulous storytelling, first off. Very. I want to know if you've had any more encounters at the ranch. Yeah. I also, too, when they said the same thing happened again, I was like, I wonder if that's like residual energy. Texas has a lot of limestone. Like, I'm wondering if that plays into it in some way. But also, if they were, like, looking for, like, cattle and horse thieves, like, maybe they would have been, like, hiding behind a tree. Or, like, Mm -hmm. maybe if you had stolen something from someone, you'd be, like, hiding behind a tree and, like, peeking out to see if anyone was coming to find you. So, I wonder if it's Joe or if it's somebody else. Spooky. Very spooky. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, being out on a lot of land in the middle of the night is pretty spooky. <laughs> so I love it. Uh, I always feel like I'm dissociating. <laughs> Anyone else? Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel um, not real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, huge shout out to everyone who shared those stories. Those were awesome. Uh, a whole A whole slew of different things. You know, we got... We got near-death experience. We got residual haunting. We got uh, object attachment is what it sounds like is happening at that Mm -hmm. auction house. So, yeah. Pretty spooky stuff. We're checking all the boxes tonight. We're checking them all. Uh, If any of you other lovelies have stories that you are ready to share, or if you'd like to share another, send them our way at thegoldenghoulspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, also, we'll up you up. Good Lord, have mercy on my soul. We'll update <laughs> y'all once we like tally the sales from this month that we'll be donating to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. But I just want to thank everyone who has bought or made a direct donation. You guys are the best. And we're so lucky to have have friends yes. and listeners who hop on board and care about the same things we do so my heart is touched mine is also touched we've got touched hearts (sighs) hearts have been touched (laughs) love you all all right kids oh oh one last thing we will not have an episode next week but we will be back the following just a forewarning the last time we didn't post an episode as expected the people were shocked and oh. they were floored. Oh no. And I so was surprised. I just want to give them an update. 
I'll be uh, away, so I will not be able to record, but we will be back as soon as possible. Yes. All right. Until next time, stay spooky. Bye. Cute. Cute.